Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friends. Have you heard about the hotel dishwasher who was awarded $21.5 million for religious discrimination after the Hilton Hotel where she worked uh, scheduled her to work on Sundays? It's an amazing jury verdict from a Florida jury. But the title of this segment is going to be Your Rights in a Straitjacket. In a straitjacket. Why? Why are your rights in a straitjacket if the jury awarded this woman, her name is Marie Jean-Pierre, awarded her $21.5 million, and you're telling me my rights are in a straitjacket? Well, uh, Miss Pierre is not going to receive $21.5 million. She's not going to receive $20, million, $15, dollars $1 million. Her lawyer says, She's likely to get about 500000 I'm not sure how it gets there because there is a cap on damages in the law of $300,000. So the jury awarded her $36,000 in economic loss. She gets that. $21.5 million, she gets three hundred. dollars so that's three thirty-six. dollars Maybe she gets some interest, certainly some attorney's fees. I uh, don't know how much the attorney's fees are going to be. So maybe if you add all that together, it'll be $500,000. Miss Pierre, according to news reports, is 60 years old. She had been working at the Hilton Hotel for a number of years. Uh, She'd always been accommodated not to work on Sundays until, uh, you know, shortly before they started scheduling her on Sundays. Uh, She convinced the jury that it was in order to fire her. And that's why the jury awarded a large punitive damage award. So, your rights in a straitjacket, well, uh, isn't it important for us to have a constitutional right to a trial by jury of our peers? Is that important to you? You want Congress deciding that there's a limit on the value of your rights? What is it that people suffer when they suffer discrimination? Is it just economic loss? You know, what kinds of symptoms do they face when they lose their jobs, when they lose their careers because of their being black or white or their disability or because of their gender, their age, or in this case, because she was committed to her faith and she didn't work on Sunday. I'm committed to my faith. I don't work on Saturdays, except uh, the fact that I'm a preacher as well as a lawyer. So I don't do legal work on my Sabbath, but I do preach. So it can be a busy day, but it's a, it's a restful, worshipful day. So Congress has said, no, the most that you deserve is $300,000. And they did that in 1991 when they amended the Civil Rights Act, which initially when it was passed in 1964, didn't, didn't provide for any type of emotional distress. So in my 25 years of doing these cases, 30 actually, The kinds of emotional distress that I see commonly, I see a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression. 
people are just blown away. They'll become, uh, you know, hermits, antisocial. They, they don't want to go visit with their friends. They don't want to go out to dinner. They don't want to go to the movies. They don't want to do anything. They hole up in the room. Um, and, uh, you know, that's a common problem. They become anxious, uh, which, you know, outward symptoms, things like weight gain, weight loss. Clients will put on 20 or 30 pounds or they can't eat. They can't sleep. Uh, insomnia is a terrible problem. And of course, when you're really anxious and depressed, you lose your interest in marital intimacy. And so marriage relationships suffer. Uh, you become easily angered and short-tempered with your kids. So it, it tends to affect the whole family. And in cases of religious discrimination, you know, when someone's been faithful to God, they feel like they're trying to practice their faith as best they can, and then God lets them down. And that can really produce a crisis of faith. They question whether God is being faithful to them. So, yeah, people really do suffer emotional distress. And don't kid yourself that, you know, if you think of yourself as, you know, a majority or not a minority, uh, that doesn't mean that you can't be discriminated against. Uh, on the way to work this morning, I heard the story of a, uh, a white professional lawyer in a district attorney's office, I believe, or a city attorney's office, and he got a very nice settlement. He was claiming that he had been repeatedly passed over for promotion uh, by a black manager who was hiring friends who were themselves black. So the fact is that minorities discriminate against white people just as white people discriminate against minorities. You know, we're all human, and we're all capable of bias and discrimination. We're all capable of being victims of the same. So don't imagine that uh, you don't have to care about your civil rights because that's, you know, that's an African-American thing or that's a Latino thing and, you know, that's not who I am. Well, we're all human. We all have civil rights. We should care about them for all of us. And as I've said, our civil rights are in a straitjacket imposed by Congress because of these arbitrary caps on damages. So a jury doesn't really get to decide the value of what we have suffered. Now, ironically, the $300,000 cap on damages that was enacted in 1991, that would be worth a little more than $500,000 today. So if it had been inflation adjusted, uh, then at least Miss Pierre would have been able to receive the emotional distress damages that the jury wanted to give her. Uh, she still would not be able to receive the punitive damages. Now, for those who think that $21 million in punitive damages is uh, is a bit hard to swallow, you know, you can take some comfort in the notion that the Supreme Court has held that there are limits on how much can be awarded in punishing wrongdoing with punitive damages. That's what it intended to do. You know, like when Ford Motor Company made a decision many, many years ago uh, not to fix gas tanks that might explode, that um, they would rather suffer the uh, the inevitable lawsuits, and it was an economic decision, and they were playing with people's lives. And my recollection, I could be way off on this, was that there was like a, back then a lot of money, $104 million punitive damage award. Uh, it would be a lot higher than that today. 
So, yeah, punitive damages are an important part of our legal system. Uh, the Supreme Court has limited them to some reasonable relationship to the underlying damages. So, in Ms. Pierre's case, $550,000 in actual damages, you know, might support a punitive damage award anywhere from a low of, say, a million to a high of maybe five million, maybe under some circumstances a little higher than that. But so there is some built-in restraint in the system. But the real question is, do we want Congress telling us the value of our suffering or not? Because after all, you know, Miss Pierre, after paying for her attorneys who can, you know, they may claim 30, 40, 50 percent of the award. And then by the time she pays taxes on all of it, uh, you know, what she's going to wind up with is far, far less than what she has actually suffered, just a fraction of what she has suffered. And the same kind of math uh, holds true in uh, personal injury cases. You know, if, if somebody's in a car accident and, you know, the, maybe their damages are worth a million dollars, but uh, by the time they negotiate a settlement and, and the attorney takes it, they might wind up with 250000 300000 who knows, maybe less. Uh, and after taxes, even less than that. So it's really important that we protect our rights, that we uh, are aware, first of all, just how much laws have put our rights into a straitjacket and that we're not really able to get compensation, adequate compensation, for what we have suffered in these civil rights cases. Um, I wish I could tell you there was a move afoot in Congress to remedy the situation, to enact better remedies. Uh, the actual reality is that uh, whether you have rights adequately protected or not depends on where you live. So, for example, here in California, we have a booming economy. Uh, in fact, some would argue our economy is the engine of not only the national but the global economy. Uh, we've got a booming economy, and we have the best protection for the civil rights of employees uh, of any state in the nation. We have full remedies available and uh, just uh, you know a much better set of laws than many states. And there's a few other states that have equally good laws, as California does, but many, many states, many Americans don't have adequate protection. I was looking into this on behalf, I got a call from someone in Texas. Um, I serve a region that includes Arizona, Utah, uh, Nevada, Hawaii. These other states, they don't have adequate protection in their state laws. And so civil rights cases have to be brought in federal court uh, and are subject to the caps on damages that we have under the federal laws. So it's a real problem. Our rights really are in a straitjacket. And this is a problem for religious freedom because, you know, companies don't have much incentive to ensure compliance. if. You know, if they can simply insure their liability and, you know, write off their discrimination losses, it's not even a footnote in corporate reports of the bigger company. You know, is not making much of a dent. Uh, and part of that is the inability to really get their attention when 
there's serious wrongdoing like there is here. So this case, I know, has gotten a lot of press. It's got a lot of attention, um, you know, for good reason. I mean, it's not every day that you see a $21.5 million verdict in any kind of discrimination case. But this is a religious discrimination case, and it's not like she had a lot of economic loss. She was a dishwasher, and the jury awarded her $36,000 in back pay. You know, the other thing that's interesting about this case to me, she had two claims. One claim was that they didn't accommodate her observance of Sunday. That's a religious accommodation claim. Uh, And clearly they didn't. And the other claim was that they retaliated against her for wanting her accommodation. And ironically, the jury ruled against her in the first claim and in her favor on the second claim. And I have known for a long time that retaliation claims are much simpler and easier to prove and uh, makes more sense to a jury than the way the religious accommodation laws are, because those two have been watered down by, in this case, watered down by the Supreme Court, and Congress has been urged to correct it for decades now and has simply failed. Uh, Bills have been introduced at various times, and they've gone nowhere to try to put meaningful teeth in the law that requires companies to accommodate their workers. Now, if you're in business, uh, don't start thinking that you have free reign, because companies are deceived by the state of the law, and and they make mistakes, and they still uh, wind up paying for them. And of course, many states have tougher laws than under federal law. So our rights really are in a straitjacket, friends. And as we close, don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed, get involved, join the North American Religious Liberty Association producer of Freedom's Ring on the web at religiousliberty.info. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.